You know, I was just thinking, um, how blessed we are as a church. And how thankful I am for you. I mean, it's a pretty big inconvenience to change rooms and come down here and walk up there and come back and forth. And, but I just want you to know how grateful I am for you uh, to do whatever it takes to find a place to worship Jesus, right? I mean, man, we got people worshiping at home. We got people worshiping the overflow. We got people worshiping in the preschool big room. We got them worshiping in the cafe. We are everywhere, man. It doesn't matter. We are God's church here at OBC and we are worshiping Jesus wherever we are. But one day, um, hopefully before Jesus comes back, we will have a new worship center. And if it's not before Jesus comes back, we don't care. We'll get upgraded, right? I mean, it doesn't really matter. I mean, so thank you so much for your patience uh, in all of this. Um, Do you ever get the feeling that something just didn't right? You you ever kind of get that feeling like something's wrong? Just before Christmas, I got tickets to this, uh, it was kind of a faith-based movie called I Heard the Bells. And um, so I thought, wow, I'm going to take all the family and we're going to go out and eat and it's going to be a big surprise and we're going to go to this movie. And uh, so sure enough, man, we went out, we got and had a nice dinner. We all pile up in the theater. And it was one of these nice theaters that have recliners. I mean, you know, so it, we, we were, I was so excited about this. So we all pile up in the theater and, and we had 10 seats all lined up. And so we kind of file in. And, but I noticed something when we walked in, it was like, 701 movie started at 7 we'd already gotten our popcorn and everything and but the movie was already started oh well, that's a little odd i mean no you know movie trailers no nothing just the movie started and people were already in there kind of digging it already man i'm thought huh that's good well, whatever i mean it, that doesn't seem right but whatever man so we pile in you know you know then we all sit down hit the button and you know they squeak a little bit hey give me some popcorn you know so we're all getting set you know how you do right before the movie starts man and and so we get dialed in the movie and I thought well I gotta catch up what's happening here then 15 minutes later the movie was over and I thought what that can't be right so I go out there have my phone hey man here Here's our tickets that says the movie starts at 7 o'clock. And the guy looked at my phone and said, yeah, that was last Friday. Uh, then I thought, man, how stupid did we look? I mean, coming there 15 minutes before the movie's over, we're piling in there, man. I mean, here's some people like, what the world? I mean, they're piling in Give me some Bob Gunn. What in the world? Man. Things like that just seem to happen to me, by the way. I don't really understand it. But you ever just look around and think, something's wrong? You, you ever there? Something just isn't right. You, you ever been there? You can look around and say, Some, something's wrong. This isn't just right. But it, but it doesn't seem to bother some of my brothers and sisters in the Lord. Doesn't seem to bother most believers. Now, how does that happen? You see, the culture tells us things are true when they are not. And unfortunately, a whole lot of believers just go, okay. 
You know, that sounds exactly like our world. But this is a really accurate picture of the church at Colossae in the first century. So today we're going to begin a study of the book of Colossians. I'm calling this study uh, Standing Strong in an Age of Deception. Now, so Colossae was a kind of a small trade city. So just to the east of Colossae, there was the city of Ephesus, which was a big deal in the first century. It was a port city. So lots of trade would come in by ship through the ports and, and then it would travel west. Um, and, and so in, in, um, then there would be people who were coming from the west to the east. And then these goods and trade services would be coming to the west and, and so this little town ended up being this kind of crossroads Colossi and so there was a kind of a diverse place but it basically existed as a trade city um, so Colossi is never mentioned in the book of Acts uh, Paul never visited Colossi in any of his three missionary journeys so why is Paul writing to them because most of Paul's epistles, Paul's letters were to churches that he established on his missionary journeys and then he was writing them to kind of make sure everything was okay or he heard this and y'all need to be careful about that. But never went to Colossae, never, he didn't plant the church, um, never visited the town. So why was Paul writing to them? Um, there was a man named Epaphras um, who heard the gospel in Ephesus when Paul was there starting the church of Ephesus. And Epaphras, man, got all fired up, all jacked up about the gospel. And he decides to go plant a church in the city just to the west, Colossae. Um, and the church just thrived for years. Then something began to happen. Some false teaching, some false doctrines started to kind of creep into the church. And Epaphras kind of looked around and thought, something's not right. Something's wrong. Paul at the time was in prison in Rome. So Epaphras traveled to the city of Rome uh, just to say, hey, man, you know, planted this church. Remember when you were in Ephesus? You remember me? Yeah, of course. Well, there's this little town just to the, to the west of um, Ephesus. And, man, it was great. I mean, the gospel that you've committed your life to transformed so many people in this little city. But then this stuff started creeping in. Could you write to my church and let them know that they can stand strong, that they don't have to buy into that stuff? And so he did. Every word of this letter Paul wrote to the church there at Colossae could have been written to us. It is incredibly relevant for the 21st century, even though it was written in the first century. Um, there are a couple different um, theme verses um, in, in Colossae. Here's um, 
Colossians 1.23, this is one of them. Uh, You must continue to believe uh, this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurances you received when you heard the good news. Here's kind of another theme verse that we'll see. um, Colossians 2.8, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of the world rather than from Christ. So this church gets started, man, some of this stuff starts creeping in, but we shouldn't be surprised by that. In fact, Jesus told us it would happen. Look in in Matthew 7, beware false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. You, you, can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Well, you know, of course not. So Jesus said, hey, this is going to happen. But Jesus makes it really clear. They're not going to look like wolves. They're going to look like sheep. It's not going to sound like false doctrine. They're not going to sound like false teachers. But but you'll know uh, by the way they act. Is the way they live their life consistent with the truth of God? Is the fruit that their life produces the fruit of God? What the Holy Spirit produces? Or is it just about them? You know, when we hear things like false prophet or false teaching or false teacher, um, you know, I think our mental picture of what that is is way off. Um, You know, in our minds, a false prophet, a false teacher looks and sounds very much like a Disney villain. But that's not how it is. Jesus said, they don't look false. It doesn't sound false. You see, false teaching is anything that contradicts God's word. Um, It's always been that way, by the way. Uh, Remember Satan? Did God really say? I mean, it's it's not this big, obvious thing, you know, that kind of jacks up our life. It's the little things that get twisted, that sound right, that look right, that feel right, that smell right, but they are wrong. They're false. And they end up doing a lot of damage in our life. So, how do you know? Um, So, the most dangerous false teachings contradict the Bible. I mean, that's obvious. Um, Look, if God says this and somebody else is telling you this, it's dangerous and it's a false teaching. Um, Are subtle and gradual. It's never... Abandon God. Burn your Bible. It's never like that. It, it's just subtle. Did, did God really say? And it's gradual. Um, so things can happen over a long period of time, very slowly, that we don't really notice. If we took a lot, just take some of our entertainment. What we see, you know, on uh, TV or, or, you know, on an app, 
If we took a whole lot of that and just collected it, rewind about 25, 30 years and drop it into the culture, would it be acceptable? No. People, oh! But when it's subtle and gradual, it's kind of like this. You, you know, you can take a frog and throw it in a pot of boiling water. It'll jump out. Take that same frog, put it in a lukewarm pot of water. It'll stay in there. Then if you heat it up gradually, it won't get out. It'll just boil to death. Frog legs for supper. Because when things are subtle and gradual, they can be really dangerous because we don't notice the change. Um, dangerous false teachings are widely accepted. I mean, do you ever just look around and you go, something's wrong, man, that, that's not right. But everybody else around you just thinks it's okay. Right? They're personally justifiable. I know a lot of people who would say a same-sex relationship is a sinful relationship. They would believe that, stand on that. But when their child says to them, I'm gay. This has happened many, many times that I'm aware of. I can count on one hand the number of families who said that's wrong and stuck with it. Because dangerous false teachings are personally justifiable. It's my kid and then all of a sudden it sounds right and you know, they're not a bad person and it's not. How about this? The result of unchecked false teachings. Here's, here's what happens. What, what, what was once condemned is now celebrated. I mean, it happens very slowly, happens gradually, but what used to be wrong in almost everybody's mind, everybody said, that's wrong. All of a sudden is now celebrated. What was once celebrated is now condemned. I mean, there was a time in our culture when, when you said, I'm a Christian, that meant something. When you said, the Bible says, that got somebody's attention. That had some weight. But now, we live in a world where what was once celebrated, God's church, His Word, is now condemned. Right? What, what used to be condemned, everybody would say, that's immoral, that's wrong, is now celebrated. This is now the moral high ground. And the church are just judgmental hypocrites. So what was once celebrated is now condemned. And if you don't celebrate what was once condemned, you're condemned. You're one of those Christians? 
hypocrite. Right? I mean, don't, don't you see this kind of creeping in everywhere? All right, so what protects us from false teaching? Being grounded in Scripture. I, I mean, it's just simple. If the Bible says it, it's right. If this is contrary to what God says, it's wrong. But when we stand firm on the truth of God's word, you know what it does? It protects us. You know what else protects us? Being relationally connected to the church. So when some of those things land on us personally, and we're starting to question and wonder and maybe and what if and and you have brothers and sisters who love you and who get around you and remind you what God says and love you through some very doubtful seasons man I'll tell you that does something in you that, that protects you also being aware of the Holy Spirit John 16, 13 says that the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. So when we're just aware of the Holy Spirit who lives in us and we start drifting into some false stuff, I mean, the Holy Spirit just, you know, be careful, watch out, this is wrong. The Holy Spirit will let you know if you'll listen. So, in the first part of chapter one, Paul gives us some amazing instruction on how to stand strong in an age of deception. So let's jump in. We stand strong by first embracing the power of prayer. So three times in 14 verses in chapter one, Paul says, I'm praying for you. Colossians chapter one, verse one, here we go. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. And verse 3 says, we always pray for you. And we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's a thousand miles away from these people that he's never met. He only knows that they even exist because of his friend Epaphras. He's never met them. But when you hear those words, there's intimacy in his heart toward them. That's what prayer does. When the Holy Spirit is in them and the Holy Spirit is in you and you are praying, it connects us and it doesn't matter how far away you are. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us when we pray. Now, later on in this letter, in this book of the Bible, Paul will say some really hard things uh, to this church at Colossae, but first he prays for them. He, he, uh, you know what he does, really? He disarms them with grace. 
God, give me that kind of heart and that kind of wisdom. I mean, you just think about that. Now, here's some people you got to say some really hard things to. Maybe that's happening here. Here's somebody I got to have a hard conversation with. But when you precede that with grace, it's disarming. That's what Paul's doing here. So, the power of prayer is all over this. And prayer is a weapon that we need when we live in an age of deception. We also stand strong by living with the expectation of faith, hope, and love. Look what happens in verse 4. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news, the truth of the gospel. So uh, faith, hope, and love are huge kind of theological virtues for every follower of Jesus. So here's what faith does. Faith looks back and anchors our lives to the Lord Jesus who saved us and gave us new life. Love looks around and builds up the body church with us. What happens when we serve each other, when we meet each other's needs? And hope looks forward. Hope looks forward to this amazing, unchangeable promise of God that one day will be ushered into the glory of his presence. I mean, so think of how those three things, and these are theological virtues you see through the whole scripture, faith, hope, and love, faith, hope, and love, faith, hope, and love. So faith helps us look back when we get tempted to drift, when we get tempted to get discouraged, when we get tempted to be deceived, and we remember what Jesus has done for me. Now, I put my faith in Jesus. Jesus is my Lord. I don't have to believe this junk. Faith looks back. Love looks around. We, we love each other. And when I'm discouraged, when I'm tempted to drift, when I feel like everything's caving in on me, when I have doubts and fears, man, the love of the church keeps me from drifting. And then hope is about the future. Hope is about one day, all this stuff that feels like it lands on me all the time, it's all going to be gone because I'm going to be in glory. I'm going to be where there's no more junk, where there's only good, there's no more disease, death, crying, pain. None of that's gone. And I'm just with Jesus. Faith, hope, and love are huge theological virtues and they play a huge role in helping us see and reject the deceptions that are constantly in our face. So every day, when my faith is challenged, I remember Jesus. When, when I'm tempted to drift, the church helps me. When, the, when despair tries to consume me, my focus is on the future because I know my hope is in heaven. Here's another thing. Uh, we also stand strong by staying focused on the life-changing gospel. Look at verse 6. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. Isn't that encouraging? I mean, in the first century, Paul says, this gospel is going out all over the world. And it still is. 
It hadn't stopped the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ still changing lives. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. Just as it changed your life from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. Remember, he started the church. He is Christ's faithful servant and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. You get that, man? I'm telling you, man. When God changes your life, you can't help but love other people. I mean, really. When God changes your life, when the Holy Spirit indwells you, when you start seeing life through the lens of the love of God, how are you not going to love somebody else? You know what I love about this? It says, lives are being changed. You know what's hard to argue with? A changed life. I mean, you could say, well, I don't know if I believe all that Bible stuff. I don't know. But what I do know is, that person right there, they used to be a stone cold pagan. Man, you can believe anything they said. They now, man, they seem to love me. They seem to love everybody. They really got their life cleaned up. Something happened. Their life got changed. You know what I, you know what I believe, man? Changed lives... Here's what I do. Change lives is the one thing I focus on to determine whether or not OBC is in the, in the middle of God's will. When I think about the lives that God is changing here continually and dramatically, my heart is overwhelmed by the grace of God. We can't do that. It's God changing lives. Wow. At OBC, we are about the life-changing power of the gospel. And the day we cease to be about the life-changing power of the gospel, God's hand of blessing will absolutely leave us. Here's another thing. We have to stand strong by pursuing the wisdom of God's will. Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Boy, that's huge, isn't it? I mean... Verse 10 says, then, when you get complete knowledge of God's will and spiritual wisdom and understanding, then, I mean, look at the results here. You will, uh, you, the way you live will always, that's a big word, honor and please the Lord and your life will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow. As you get to know God better and better. So Paul says two things here. Um, he, he really prays for two things. That they will have complete knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. So let's talk about those two things for a second. Um, let's start with God's will. Uh, you, you know, most people when you say, what's God's will? Or 
What you're doing is that God's will. For most people, God's will is about as clear as talking to someone on the other end of one of those customer service lines. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't understand you. What? Click. Don't act like you've never done that. You know that's happened to you. So let me give you some basic understanding of God's will. So we should understand God's will in three parts. God's providential will. That's just the providence of God. That part of God's will will happen. Jesus is coming back. That's God's will. Nothing's going to stop it. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Nothing's going to stop that. That's God's will. That's God's providential will. Then there's God's moral will. It's always God's will not to lie. It's always God's will to tell the truth. It's always God's will not to steal. It's always God's will not to live in sexual immorality. Not, in other words, don't have sex with somebody outside of marriage. And when then, then when you're married, don't have sex with your spouse and don't have sex with the same uh, gender or somebody that you are. That's always God's will. That's God's moral will. Then there's God's personal will. So how do you know? So, so that's the tricky part, right? I mean, I get that other part because that's very clear in the Bible. But how do I know if it's God's will for me to move and take this new job? So this is God's personal will. Here's how you know. You spend time with God. So you ask yourself some questions. Is doing this in conflict with God's moral will or God's providential will? If it's not, then you go the next step. Was well, this what God wants me to do? It's not con- it's not in conflict to the Bible. So you have the Holy Spirit living in you. So you spend a lot of time praying. You spend a lot of time asking God. And, and then, here's what will happen. You'll get God's peace. Because it may feel like right now, man, I got this red light. And I, maybe I shouldn't do that. But you spend some time with God. And it's still a red light. You don't do it. You don't have God's peace. But, if you spend some time with God, it's a green light. Got God's peace. Now you go on. But maybe you're saying, I spent some time with God, but I still don't know. Well, then you need to spend some more time with God. And you're not done. You spend some time with God, still not clear. Because you don't move till God says, move. Or stay. Or don't. Or it's okay. So God's will has three parts. Paul prayed two things. Complete Knowledge of God's will, that's how you get it. And spiritual wisdom and understanding. So spiritual wisdom and understanding, now these are things you can't learn on your own. You see, there's worldly wisdom and then there's godly wisdom. Just listen to these verses in 1 Corinthians 1. Uh, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it's the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of the world look foolish. And since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, 
He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. I mean, you get that? There's worldly wisdom, there's godly wisdom. Worldly wisdom take you down a bad road. But God's wisdom isn't given to us to inform us. God's wisdom is given to us to transform us. Y'all awake. Everybody, hey, 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 wake up. Man, y'all are dead as a hammer out here. That's really good. I mean, God's wisdom was given to us to transform our lives, and it's available to you. Are you excited about that? Amen. All right, just want to make sure you're awake. So Paul prays two things. Complete knowledge of God's will, spiritual wisdom, and understanding. Why these two things? Because they're exactly the opposite of deceptive, ungodly understanding that bombards us every day. I promise you, I promise you, when you ask yourself two questions about the life issues you're facing right now, it'll get really clear. One, is it God's will? Based on those three things. Two, is this consistent with the wisdom God has shown me? You make really good decisions if you do those two things. We also stand strong by enduring through God's power. Colossians 1, 11. We also pray that you will be strengthened with his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy. <laughs> so do you see the progression here in this text? When we embrace the power of prayer, when, when we uh, live with faith, hope, and love, when we focus on the gospel, when we, when we pursue the wisdom of God's will, we receive God's strength that gives us this endurance and patience that we need, and we get joy as a bonus. Anybody here ever need some endurance? You ever feel like giving up? Anybody here ever need some patience? You ever feel like you're reasonably sure you're going to kill somebody? Yeah. Do you know why we feel like giving up? Do you know why we feel like just unloading on someone? Because we're living in our own strength, not God's. We're living in our own strength, not the strength God wants to give us. And we don't have to. One more thing. We stand strong by remembering what Jesus has done. Colossians 1.12. Always thanking the Father, he has enabled you to share the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. So you get that right. Inheritance belongs to children. We are God's children. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sin. Look, Jesus purchased us. Jesus forgave us all by the blood and the power of the cross. Don't you remember that? Don't you remember the day that you were living in darkness, sin, on your way to hell? That God seemed a million miles away and God shows up one day and Jesus captures your heart and he takes you out of that and he transforms you to the kingdom of his dear son. You remember when God did that to you? Wasn't that a big deal? 
And God is still doing that all over the world, all over the place, all the time because he loves us. When you start to drift, when you start doubting, when you start questioning, remember what Jesus did for you. Your life is different because of Jesus. It is a big deal. You are God's child and you live in the kingdom of his dear son, the kingdom of light. Act like a citizen of that kingdom. Father, thank you for your good love for us. And Lord, I just pray for anyone right now who may be tempted, like, like these believers in Colossae were, just to doubt and drift and forget. God, right now, Lord, would you please remind us of all these things that keep us strong. And we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's stand and worship.